and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the fields of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and I am joined by the lovely Sarah Beasley. She is the author of Kindness for All Creatures, Buddhist Advice for Compassionate Animal Care. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. Thank you. So to give our listeners a better idea as to who you are and a little bit about your book, so what is your background and what inspired you to write this book? Well, I have a kind of unusual background, I suppose. I have been a teacher for many years, um, an art teacher, an educator, and a classroom grade school teacher. And I currently work with um, graduate students. But along the way, I found myself really drawn to the Buddhist path. And I gave up teaching at a certain point to really full-time pursue um, a Buddhist path of study and practice in a kind of very traditional um, Tibetan Buddhist lineage. And so it's been 20 years now that I've been um, a devoted Buddhist practitioner, as well as um, making my way in the Western world as a Western person. And in addition, um, I have always been a keen lover of animals. And I had a dog, Cosmo, from age four months um, through his long life until he died at age 15. And About halfway through his life is when I took refuge as a Buddhist, and at this point started to really change my mind about how we relate to animals and how we treat them. And I was receiving a lot of teachings around this topic because Buddhism is quite concerned with how we relate to all sentient beings and how we care for ourselves and each other. I love it. So then did you decide to like you were surrounded by all of these teachings and then did it, did it spark something for you to write a book? Like how, how, how did, how did the book become born? That's a great question. I guess I've been kind of developing my voice as a writer for a number of years. I was asked to um, teach a workshop on death and dying for human animals a number of years ago. And that became an annual um, offering. And then out of that, people started to ask me more about, well, how do we handle, you know, our, our animals, our pets, death and dying, and more than that, how do we treat them during their lifetime? And it was clear to people that this was something I was passionate about. And so it started to kind of form from a monthly column that I write on all kinds of topics, but it's been becoming more and more about animal care and as well as um, environmental care. And so then it just kind of develops in my mind that there are these amazing Buddhist teachings and frameworks around which we can organize our practical lives, including how we relate to animals. So it just kind of with this seed was planted during one of my long um, Buddhist retreats that maybe I could share these ideas with more than just Buddhist people. Yeah, I love that. And so how did it feel to write the book? I'm sort of going off script here, but I'm, I'm like... What were you, were, I mean, was it, how long did it take? And, and when, when it was finally done, were you just, whoo, like that was so amazing or how, how does it feel? I think it's, I would characterize writing this book as one of those events in life that kind of had a life of its own. It really almost took me by surprise and um, upended my life. I ended up quitting my job in order to write the book because I felt so driven to kind of get it done within a year. 
I know a lot of people take five, 10, 20 years to write a book or never finish a book. And I really felt that this information and this view needed to be out in the world. I went to the bookstore and said, hey, what books do you have on these topics? And they said, there aren't any. And I said, good, don't tell me when I was here. I'll be right back. (laughs) It took me 10 months and um, I'm very fortunate to have a great publisher um, who believed in the book and a wonderful editor. So yeah, it kind of was just like flying by the seat of my pants, but it, it, I felt there was a lot of energy around it um, from my teachers and from the lineage. Yeah, it's really cool. It, it, it is very one of its kind, so I, I really appreciate it. Okay, so what are the paramitas or perfections the book is based on? This is a great question. So there are so many different teachings in Buddhism, and there's so many different schools and lineages, but the heart of Buddhism is embodying these qualities of heart that can be put into action. And um, even though I don't, I've never met Thich Nhat Hanh, I've always been so impressed by his ability to put these qualities into action in the world, like on the pavement with people and animals and um, these qualities, even though they're called, these are sometimes translated as perfections. It's not that we have to be perfect. It's that mm-hmm. they are qualities like patience, generosity, concentration, discipline, diligence, and wisdom that we pick up like a tool and mm-hmm. we try out. How could I be more diligent in the way I relate to others, animals and people? What does that mean? Does that speak to me? Or is there a way that I can um, use wisdom in my daily life in a way that will benefit others? And so it's really like a practical toolbox as well as a philosophy or a framework. Um, One thing I was thinking about in, in preparing for this conversation is like, well, why are we so into our pets? And especially because we're canine conversations about dogs. What is it about dogs that is so intriguing and attractive? to so many of us. Um, And I think because dogs uh, among all the different animals have been so domesticated over the centuries to serve us and to be with us and to become attuned to humans, that the dog-human relationship is very unique and very special. Um, And on the sort of other side of that coin, because they have become so entwined with our lives, our lives, you know, as two species are so closely related, we have this responsibility to actually uphold our end of this relationship. So if we keep dogs as pets, you know, and in Boulder, of course, we call them, we say we're their guardians. We don't own animals, which I think is important. Um, We have to see things from their point of view. And this is the heart of Buddhism, is sort of self and other go together. It's not all about me and then I'll think about you. They go together. And this is so well represented in the dog-human relationship. It's not only that they want to please us and they want to perform and they want the reward of affection and praise, I think far more than the treats. Of course, they love the treats, but it's really that, that connection, that affection. And knowing that they've sort of done their part and that we're pleased with it and we appreciate it. So I think a lot of the behavior problems that arise with dogs and other pets is because we're not upholding our end. We're not giving them enough enrichment or enough attention or enough clear, healthy boundaries. So they understand how to co- coexist with us. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I appreciate that you're bringing up the point of, you know, what is our responsibility in how our animals are behaving on, on some level, right? Because we are part of the relationship. And so both parties are engaging in behavior or um, part, part, they're part of that relationship. And sometimes dog training is looked at, I want to control the dog or I want the dog to do what it is that I say, but there's not a lot of focus on, well, who am I in this relationship? And so I appreciate that, you know, Buddhism and yourself is really saying, how are both parties showing up and how can they benefit one another and how can each of them take responsibility? And so I, I just, I really appreciate that about where, what you're trying to communicate in the world. So thank you. You and, and Buddhism, a whole religion. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So what aspects of dog care do you address in the book? That's a great question. I really feel like this sort of people need practical tools and the book is designed in a way that it, it does give a lot of this framework of Buddhism and people can kind of take or leave. It's not saying you should believe in this or this is right, but these are tools. And so the tools apply to the most practical aspects of even before there is a pet in the home, why am I thinking of adopting a dog or fostering a cat or getting a bunny rabbit? sort of what is the motivation and then what is the preparation? So all the way back to that kind of like, is my home and my lifestyle actually even suitable? And if not, can I adapt and get ready for this, this amazing being? It's like we get ready for children to come into the home and, and a pet is as big a deal, really. It needs to know, <clears throat> he or she needs to know, you know, where to relieve himself and what the schedule is and what the expectations are. Am I allowed on the bed or even in the bedroom? Um, when will I eat? You know, what will be provided for me? Is it going to be clean? And so I cover all these sort of areas from preparing to crate train and why crate training and how it works to thinking about medical and dental preventative care, um, leash training and off-leash training, um, traveling with pets. Yeah, I feel very passionately about really protecting pets as we do ourselves and children when we travel in a vehicle. Um, it can be just as dangerous for them. And so having them properly um, restrained in a way that is, um, you know, appropriate and, and safe. Um, so all of these kind of things. And then also talking about the communication how are we, and I know that you do this and your colleagues do this all the time. How am I communicating in a way that's effective, appropriate, helpful, loving, and clear and disciplined? Um, I, one of my big words, I guess, is just consistency. It's like consistency, calm, and clarity in the way we communicate with an animal so that we can get the results, not only that we want, but that they need. So basically all their basic needs, um, I try to cover at least uh, briefly, including exercise and, um, you know, what their environment is like, what it's like for them with children in the house or with other pets. So having more than one pet and how they interact and what they need and, um, and enrichment. That's great. It sounds like you cover a lot of topics and you give a lot of resources to people that no matter where you're at in that process with the animal, there's something in the book for everyone, whether you're preparing for an animal or you have an animal home. Um, and, and it sounds like you're, you're talking about these concepts 
through the framework of Buddhism, right? Like through the paramitas, like you were talking about, which is, which is pretty amazing. So I love, I love this new lens that you're using to talk about husbandry and communication and training and enrichment. It's really cool. Yeah. I feel like it's such a mutual um, relationship, including wants and needs and wishes and satisfaction. And because the animals can't literally speak for themselves with words, we have to understand, kind of push ourselves, really. I think most pet owners are wonderful people and they really think about many or, or most of these things. But, but there's always one or two blind spots or just areas that people haven't thought of. I didn't even know there was a, a seatbelt for a dog. I didn't know that that cats might need dental care um, or it might really affect their elder years and their health in general. Um, I didn't know that my bird needed enrichment activities to not get depressed or have sort of self-harming behaviors because birds are very intelligent and they can't just sit in a cage and do nothing. So sometimes there's just areas that people aren't aware of. They need education, as you well know. And to see it through the lens of compassionate tool using of, well, how can I be a little more generous or how can I be more disciplined in the things I need to do so that my pet can thrive, not just survive. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny that you just said thrive, not just survive, because I was just at a seminar at the Humane Society of Boulder Valley, give a little shout out to our local shelter. Um, we had two amazing people there, uh, Kathy Sadeo and Dr. Susan Friedman, and they were, they were uh, coming up with the word thrival. So instead of survive, <laughs> survival, we want our animals to be in thrival. Uh, and I just, I, I like, I love that you just said that it's coming up this entire week, which is really interesting. So anyway, um, so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation about Sarah Beasley's book. Hey guys, it's Marissa Martino from Pause and Reward. Does your dog pull, bark, or lunge while on walks? Are you having a hard time walking your dog, feeling embarrassed and not sure how to handle the situation? Visit my website at pauseandreward.com to receive a free gift designed to help you achieve the connected walks you and your dog so desire. You'll receive videos and educational materials to support your process. Visit pauseandreward.com to get started. All right. And so we are back. And my first question for Sarah is, can you talk a little bit about compassion in relation to animal and dog training? Absolutely. So compassion is such a vast concept. Um, and so when we get into kind of everyday life, um, I've had people say to me, well, you know, your book seems great and all, but I don't even have a pet and I don't, I live in a city in an urban area. I don't really interact with animals. And I tend to challenge people to say, to think about that and, um, and ask, you know, well, really? Like, do you never find maybe a spider in the corner of your apartment or um, a bird on the sidewalk that might, you know, be injured or something you're afraid of that you might um, consider, you know, people have, we have our strange phobias and we have our sort of um, our affinities, right? <laughs> we have our affinities and disaffinities. I love puppies and kittens, but I can't stand um, ants. Ants just shouldn't be in my house. And 
So in addition to um, showing how we can express and embody compassion for our pets and the animals we like, I do talk about in the book how we can work with opening our heart a little bit toward animals we may fear or not understand or not like. And this is something really central to Buddhism is, is kind of going beyond our preferences to, to kind of care anyway. And anyone who's ever worked with, you know, a group of five or 10 children, you, you get this concept. It's like, some are cute and, and well-behaved and others aren't, but still you're charged with caring for all of them and hopefully, you know, equitably and kindly. So I think it's similar with animals. And I'm actually in the process of putting a new page on my website in the next couple of months, which is in tandem with a Buddhist Lama I'm working with. He is um, a builder and a designer of buildings, and he has moved whole colonies of termites and um, leaf-cutting ants, whole colonies of insects, in order to not kill them and in order to be able to actually remodel or build that new building. And he has these amazing stories. They're not just you know, compassionate and wonderful. They're just sort of technically amazing how he figured out how to locate a whole colony of termites so that they would continue to thrive and be even happier than when they were in the wall of the, you know, home. So yeah, I'm totally excited about this. And it's, it's partly out of my own experience of having aversion to certain insects and being told by my teachers, you know, that's not okay. You need to work with that. It's your problem that, you know, don't make it their problem. I love that. When I went, uh, just a side note on this, I was at Home Depot last year. We moved into our home like a year and a half ago and I was at Home Depot buying the, the mouse traps that like they crawl in, it tips and then the door shuts and they're okay. Right. And then you can release them into the field. And the guy at Home Depot looked at me like I was insane. He was like, just purchase the ones that kill them. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Like I really, 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 you know, because our, our development is actually a brand new development. So this was truly their home first. So yeah, but the guy at Home Depot just looked at me like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, absolutely. No, it takes some effort and it takes some, some little bit of turning of the heart and to kind of question our assumptions. We kind of have these norms, at least in the West, and we have these assumptions. Well, like I need to get rid of the mice or the ants or the termites, but, but we, so this, this is kind of just asking not to sort of, um, blindly have faith in a doctor, but kind of, well, what, you know, basically put yourself in their shoes. What if, what if I were a mouse and somebody came and the difference be- between using that trap that you said, the catch and release and driving it somewhere, which is, you know, a bit of a strange excursion, but Hey, I'm driving this mouse. I just met up the mountain. Yeah. It's a different kind of day. And <laughs> yeah, totally. And then it's not just sentimental from the Buddhist point of view. It's karmic. It's a karmic connection that, Oh, Hey, this mouse might be in your apartment or your building, but it might not be the first time you've met actually. And you have, you know, this impulse to take care. Uh-huh. Interesting. That's really cool. Okay. So among all animals, why are dogs special? I mean, you, you alluded to this in terms of our relationship earlier, but what makes dogs so special? Mm-hmm. I love this question. And of course, you know, I try not to be completely and utterly biased because I am a dog person. <laughs> Um, I love so many different kinds of animals and even the ones I'm allergic to, but I think dogs and sometimes I add in horses are 
very special in just the history, the uniqueness of how we have related with them over so many centuries. Um, and other kinds of animals people have affinity or disaffinity for, you know, cats and rabbits and rodents. And some people are just so into reptiles and frogs and birds um, or fish. And everybody has their different reasons. Um, but I think that dogs are able, and studies do show, and my book is quite research-based. Um, so I've um, taken a lot of the research from animal um, ethologists and biologists and people like Jane Goodall and Mark Beckoff and amazing, wonderful researchers and people who deeply care scientifically as well as emotionally about animals. But dogs have the capacity to attune emotionally and they actually have the capacity to alter their facial expressions according to their emotions, which is quite rare in the animal world. I mean, except for primates. And so they really have adapted and attuned to us over time as much as we have to them. And if we kind of sift through our anthropomorphizing, there is actually a very um, close relating in how we understand and emote and express and communicate between humans and dogs, I think. Yeah, yeah, they, it, is, it is pretty amazing. And I appreciate that your book is research-based and that you're pulling in leaders like that because um, I think that that's, that is really important to elevate our, our field when we're talking about canines. Um, and there's just so much really fun research out there. It's just becoming more and more exciting. So that, that's great that you also include that into the book. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the resources you provide about death and dying in the book. So we're going to switch gears a little bit um, to talk about a topic that is where you first started, right? It is actually. Originally, the book was based on this conversation between myself and a veterinarian who was my high school friend. And we hadn't seen each other in decades, but we struck up this conversation about um, end-of-life care and hospice and euthanasia. And um, basically what I... I like to say about death is that death is natural, you know, life and death. And if you have the um, view, as many different types of people do, that, you know, we might be reborn. So it's a, it's a cycle. There's this cyclical nature and it's natural. It doesn't have to be like a foreign, fearful kind of thing with our animal or with our human relatives. Um, and so, again, I try to kind of um, bring these practical considerations. So. And because I do feel very passionate about my own experience with my dog as he was elderly and sick and, and dying and then through his death and afterward, it was a very incredible um, process as I think mm -hmm. many people describe, you know, with their pet or with their loved one is that it's transformative. It's something very beyond our usual day-to-day -day experience and it can be quite amazing and beautiful and touching and moving as well as painful and challenging in many ways. And so the book gives a lot of practical considerations about pain management, about mobility adaptations for elder pets, about supporting each other in community for hospice care for animals. Um, so we're supporting, you know, practically how can I continue to give medication or to feed or to care for my pets, not all by myself. Um, mm -hmm. Because many of us go through this, we can help each other and do it together as we often do with human people. Um, and so 
I do kind of offer stories, real life stories of people who have and have not chosen euthanasia for their pet and kind of, I kind of prod people to just question their assumptions and the norms that we have in the West. And I don't give any kind of like shoulds, but a lot of stories and resources and sort of things to think about. And then along yeah. with those supports, like those kind of um, practical supports, I do give, um, I have adapted from the workshop that I taught um, for human death and dying. I've adapted some of those prayers and practices to give people really simple things to do. Whether they're Buddhist or not, simple mantras or simple things to visualize. And then how to care for the body itself through the death process and afterward. And so choices that people might have about the body of their beloved pet and um, what to do, but kind of trying to more normalize it and give people a sense of practical help and inspiration about this process. Yeah. I love how you're reframing the process because um, I, I don't know if you know that my dog is 11. I think I think I had mentioned that to you. And I mean, he's in, he's in wonderful health. He's laying at my feet at the moment. Um, but he's 11 and he's an 80 pound dog and he is my soul dog. And, oh, I'm just, I have all this stuff wrapped up in it. And I, I notice that there are times where I'm not taking advantage of our opportunity. Like I'm not being present with him. I'm more, it's, it's too painful to be present with him. And therefore I sit on the outskirts a bit and worry quite, quite easily about what I'm going to do when he's gone. Right. Instead of sort of dropping in and feeling our deep connection and being present. And so it's, you know, I think about this a lot and I think about, um, how can I show up more differently and be more, be as comfortable as I can and prepare myself and prepare him for the aging process? Um, that is more healthy and more beautiful and more kind and more aware of the cyclical nature that is life and death, right? So I, I so appreciate that your book came into my life at, at this time because it speaks to a lot of what I'm sort of going through, the, the challenging parts of it, but also, you know, as I try to reframe this experience and not make it so heavy, um, mm -hmm. So I appreciate that you are talking about this because not many people are talking about it in a way that reframes it as a positive experience or a, or a more natural experience. Mm -hmm. So, so thank yeah, you for doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I think when I, when I had my dog Cosmo and we spent all these years together and through everything, I think some people thought, you know, I was a bit nuts, like, how can you be so attached to an animal? Other people get it, right? And and yeah, totally. um, we love those other people, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. I get yeah. that. And it's like, so you're what you're saying is touching on, you know, kind of like avoiding regret and grief, and these are such intrinsic parts of being in such a beautiful, close relationship with an animal. It's such a pure relationship. I've had more than a few people say to me, "Oh, yes, my pet." recently passed away and I feel embarrassed that I'm still grieving. And I say, Oh no, Oh no, this, yeah. this is a lifelong, deeply meaningful connection. I mean, it's, it's much more um, complicated with the humans. We might think we should be closer to our humans, but you know, it's complex. And with an animal, it's rarely complex. There may be illnesses, there may be arguments, but they're not really the same level. And so there's a purity 
there's a there's a bond that is so visceral and um, body based. You know, the physical affection and acceptance that we can experience with an animal might be kind of the best love we've ever had, really, in the yeah, sense that we sure. feel totally present, we feel totally accepted. That's hard to find mm-hmm. with a human being. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so these are rich relationships that I think I tell people really can't be undervalued. And so when we feel grief really deeply or for a long time, it's totally natural and it's okay. And I think what you're touching on is like being present with that. Can I be present with that or feeling guilty or feeling like I should be home more or when my animal has passed, I do write in the book some of my experiences of feeling some regrets about, oh, I could have cared better in this way or that way. I know I was tired and I forgive myself, but, and it's important to forgive ourselves, but also just being present with what is. And that is easier to help a pet through their end of life if we are present with what is, is usually actually easier than what we fear and what we worry about because our worried minds can come up with, you know, 20 scenarios, the actual scenario, even if it's um, quite difficult, if we're present with it and we help each other, it's usually not so hard as what we fear in my experience. Our, our, our brains can go to dangerous places at times and make up a ton of stories that, yeah, are not, are not even real. So. And so my purpose with the book is, is just really for people to feel supported, to have tools, to feel nourished by these teachings and by the way they can be put into action. That's like, oh yeah, I can do that. That I can do, Mm -hmm. that I can do, and that I'll try. Well, so where can people find you and the book online? And we will link to this in our show notes. Great. Um, So the book is available to be either previewed and or ordered at sarahcbeasley.com. And it's also available locally here at the Boulder Bookstore in Denver at the Tattered Cover um, through Shambhala.com. And I love to tell people about IndieBound if they don't know that. IndieBound.com is, you could just put in your zip code and wherever you live, you're going to find a local independent bookstore that will carry the book. And I love to support the local independents. That's really cool. I didn't know about that. We will uh, link to that as well. So thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme music is called Funny Song and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beherd.org.uk. And lastly, our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks so much, guys. So since we're approaching the holiday season, I think that this book would be such a great stocking stuffer for any animal lover in your life, including yourself. We'll make sure to link to all the sales pages in the show notes.